for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We are now continuing with Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, with Roy Shulman. Hi, this is Roy Shulman, and welcome again to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the fulfillment, the full realization of all of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Well, today is going to be a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a surprising show, perhaps, because I want to talk simultaneously about uh, Easter and Pentecost and the Holy Spirit and also Passover and Shavuos, and tie them all together and make today's show a kind of a prayer for the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And what does this have to do? with um, the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, and that I hope I'll make clear in a few moments. So, I'll launch in. We all know we just came from Easter a few weeks ago, and we know that 50 days after Easter, we have Pentecost. That's what the name Pentecost comes from. It's the counting of the days to the 50th day after Easter. And we know that um, Easter was the sacrifice of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And we know that Pentecost is the coming of the Holy Spirit 50 days later. Now, this is extremely interesting, coming from a Jewish background, or even, well, it's interesting personally because I come from a Jewish background, but it's also interesting in the sense that the Catholic Church comes from a Jewish background because um, Easter, more specifically Good Friday, takes place on Passover, the Passover sacrifice. I think we all know that, if only from the Easter Triduum services, that uh, the Triduum, that is the period between Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter, take place over Passover. And um, on the Jewish calendar, 50 days after, um, after Passover, comes a holiday known as Shavuos, which celebrates the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. It's also the 50th day after Passover. So just as Pentecost comes the 50th day after Easter, Shavuos comes the 50th day after Passover. As a matter of fact, just as Pentecost means 50, because it's the 50th day, Shavuos means sevens because it is seven times seven. It's seven weeks after Passover. Now, why does this have significance? Well, we know that Pentecost is a celebration of the descent of the Holy Spirit, and Shavuos is, in fact, the celebration of the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. And we also know that the coming of the Holy Spirit was the fulfillment of the law As it says in the scriptures, um, Moses gave you commandments written on tablets of stone, but the day is coming when I will send the Holy Spirit to give you commandments written on your heart. It's a bit of a paraphrase, but um, I hope you know the passage. And so, in fact, uh, throughout, in fact, the, the letters and the letter to the Hebrews and so forth, the idea is that the written law that was given through Moses, was a kind of a schoolmaster to bring mankind up to the point 
where man was prepared to receive the law written on the human heart in the form of the Holy Spirit and our consciences illumined by the Holy Spirit. So there's this very, very beautiful parallelism between the Jewish calendar at this time of year and the Catholic calendar at this time of year. And in fact, you could say that the entire sequence of Passover um, leading up to Shavuos is a prefigurement of its realization in Christianity of Easter um, progressing onto uh, Pentecost. So with that rather long-winded um, introduction, I wanted to read a um, catechism on the Holy Spirit. That was all by way of justification for reading this beautiful little catechism on the Holy Spirit by the Cure of Ars, St. John Vianney, St. John Marie Vianney. Um, if you don't know who he is, um, you're missing out. He's a, a very beautiful saint from the uh, tail end of the 18th century, beginning of the 19th century, right after the French Revolution, in fact. A very holy, um, a very holy saint. That's a bit redundant. Um, he was a little bit in the form of uh, Padre Pio, in the sense that he was very much a pastor, that he spent much of his life in the confessional, basically he spent his entire life counseling people, uh, hearing confessions, celebrating Mass, and being a, a parish priest. He's in fact the patron, if I'm not mistaken, of parish priests as a result. So I am going to be reading from a, a very nice little book called The Little Catechism of the Curé of Ars, which is a selection of his homilies. And because we're in this period celebrating, so to speak, the upcoming descent of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, in a Jewish context, if there are any uh, Jewish listeners who are counting the Omer, there's a uh, Jewish practice that counts down the 50 days, uh, so to speak, from uh, Passover to Shavuos. So I'm, I'm turning that into a little bit of a Catholic version of that in this countdown to Pentecost. And I will be reading uh, the Cure of Ars Catechism on the Holy Spirit. Before I launch in, let me uh, remind our listeners that this is actually a live call-in show, and the number here is 866-333-6279, or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. And if you wish to call in at any point in the program, I will uh, try to keep my eyes on um, the little, little uh, chat stream from the studio, and interrupt myself in order to take a call and answer any question that you might have. And also, um, about halfway through the program, I'll be taking a short musical break. Sometimes people like to call in during that break, because that way, coming out of the break, we go straight to the calls. Anyway, the Curé of Ars Catechism on the Holy Spirit. Oh, my children, how beautiful it is. The Father is our Creator. The Son is our Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit is our guide. Man by himself is nothing, but with the Holy Spirit he is very great. Man is all earthly and all animal. Nothing but the Holy Spirit can elevate his mind and raise it on high. Why were the saints so detached from the earth? Because they let themselves be led by the Holy Spirit. 
Those who are led by the Holy Spirit have true ideas. That is the reason why so many ignorant people are wiser than the learned. When we are led by a God of strength and light, we cannot go astray. The Holy Spirit is light and strength. He teaches us to distinguish between truth and falsehood, and between good and evil. Like glasses that magnify objects, the Holy Spirit shows us good and evil on a large scale. With the Holy Spirit, we see everything in its true proportions. We see the greatness of the least actions done for God and the greatness of the least faults. As a watchmaker with his glasses distinguishes the most minute wheels of a watch, so we, with the light of the Holy Ghost, distinguish all the details of our poor life. Then the smallest imperfections appear very great. The least sins inspire us with horror. That is the reason why the Most Holy Virgin never sinned. The Holy Ghost made her understand the hideousness of sin. She shuddered with terror at the least fault. Those who have the Holy Spirit cannot endure themselves. So well do they know their poor misery. The proud are those who have not the Holy Spirit. Worldly people have not the Holy Spirit, or if they have, it is only for a moment. He does not remain with them. The noise of the world drives him away. A Christian who is led by the Holy Spirit has no difficulty in leaving the goods of this world to run after those of heaven. He knows the difference between them. The eyes of the world see no farther than this life, as minds see no farther than the wall when the church door is shut. The eyes of the Christian see deep into eternity. To the man who gives himself up to the guidance of the Holy Ghost, there seems to be no world. To the world there seems to be no God. We must therefore find out by whom we are led. If it is not by the Holy Ghost, we labor in vain. There is no substance nor savor in anything we do. If it is by the Holy Ghost, we taste a delicious sweetness. It is enough to make us die of pleasure. I have mixed feelings about interrupting the reading in order to um, comment on this because it's impossible to improve on the wisdom, needless to say, of the curé of ours. But I will underline some things nonetheless. We see the contrast here. We are actually living in two worlds at once, you could say. We are trapped in our physical bodies. We are trapped in our senses. We are trapped in our concerns for this world, in fact. And it is very easy to see everything in only in those terms. However, we're also living in another world at the same time, which is the spiritual world. We also have our souls. We also have our spiritual being. And they're basically two ways of looking at life and two ways of looking at the world. And in a sense, we have to choose one or the other. We can look at the world in a worldly sense, in which case all that matters are the goods of this world. And, um, you know, to take a silly example, of course it pays to steal because if, if you can do so without getting caught, because you will have more wealth as a result and you won't get caught. It's kind of a trivial example. Um, but it's hard to argue against that if our guidance, our light, is only the light of this world. 
If, however, we see things in the light of eternity, in the light of God, if we see things illumined by the Holy Spirit, then in principle, we will be like those saints who say that they would rather die a thousand deaths than commit the least sin, because they actually see how horrible sin is in the eyes of God. I can stop there. They see how horrible it is to sin in the eyes of God. We either see things through the eyes of this world, or we see things through the eyes of the Spirit. We either see things in the light of the Holy Spirit, or we only see things in the light of this world. Obviously, if we want to get to heaven, we're far better off seeing things in the light of the Holy Spirit. Um, We're going to be led by one or the other. We're going to be led by the Spirit of this world, or we're going to be led by the Holy Spirit. If we find ourselves led by the Holy Spirit, then although we might um, lose, so to speak, some of the constellations of this world, they will be more than compensated for by the consolations of the Holy Spirit, by the joy, by the love, by the peace that comes from the indwelling Holy Spirit. And in fact, the consolations of this world are pretty shabby consolations anyway, because, um, because in fact, this world promises you what promises you the consolations of success promises you the consolations of wealth, uh, promises you perhaps the consolations of fame. But um, if you look at people who are wealthy or who are famous uh, or who are successful, one often finds very deeply unhappy people. So it doesn't seem like those consolations are overwhelmingly successful. Um, And the, the final bottom line and I'm cheating because I have this from my conversion experience, but the final bottom line is that we live for all eternity. And the consolations of this world, even if they were very successful and very consoling and gave a great deal of pleasure, wouldn't do any good at all for more than 100 years or so because we will be dead and our bodies rotting in the grave. Whereas we will, in fact, be alive for all eternity. So if we choose the constellations of this world, even if they were successful as constellations in this world, we would be at the very least jeopardizing our entire eternity and trading an eternity of bliss for an eternity of suffering. Whereas if we pray and uh, pray to be guided by the Holy Spirit and try to stay in a state of grace and try to see things in the light of the Holy Spirit, then at the very worst, All we are doing is trading the very short-lived consolations of this world for an eternity of unimaginable love and bliss. Back to uh, the Curie of Ars, who, needless to say, does a much better job. Those who are led by the Holy Spirit experience all sorts of happiness in themselves, while bad Christians roll themselves on thorns and flints. A soul in which the Holy Spirit dwells is never weary in the presence of God. His heart gives forth a breath of love. Without the Holy Ghost, we are like the stones on the road. Take in one hand a sponge full of water, and in the other a little pebble. Press them equally. Nothing will come out of the pebble, but out of the sponge will come abundance of water. 
The sponge is the soul filled with the Holy Spirit, and the stone is the cold and hard heart, which is not inhabited by the Holy Spirit. A soul that possesses the Holy Spirit tastes such sweetness in prayer that it finds the time always too short. It never loses the holy presence of God. Such a heart, before our good Savior and the holy sacrament of the altar, is a bunch of grapes under the wine press. The Holy Spirit forms thoughts and suggests words in the hearts of the just. Those who have the Holy Spirit produce nothing bad. All the fruits of the Holy Spirit are good. Without the Holy Spirit, all is cold. Therefore, when we feel we are losing our fervor, we must instantly make a novena to the Holy Spirit to ask for faith and love. See, when we have made a retreat or a jubilee, we are full of good desires. These good desires are the breath of the Holy Spirit, which has passed over our souls and has renewed everything like the warm wind which melts the ice and brings back the spring. You who are not great saints, you still have many moments when you taste the sweetness of prayer and of the presence of God. These are visits of the Holy Spirit. When we have the Holy Spirit, the heart expands. It bathes itself in divine love. A fish never complains of having too much water. Neither does a good Christian ever complain of being too long with the good God. There are some people who find religion wearisome, and it is because they have not the Holy Spirit. If the damned were asked, why are you in hell? They would answer, for having resisted the Holy Spirit. And if the saints were asked, why are you in heaven? They would answer, for having listened to the Holy Spirit. When good thoughts come into our minds, it is the Holy Spirit who is visiting us. The Holy Spirit is a power. The Holy Spirit supported St. Simeon on his column. He sustained the martyrs. Without the Holy Spirit, the martyrs would have fallen like leaves from the trees. When the fires were lighted under them, the Holy Spirit extinguished the heat of the fire by the heat of divine love. The good God, in sending us the Holy Spirit, has treated us like a great king who should send his minister to guide one of his subjects, saying, You will accompany this man everywhere, and you will bring him back to me safe and sound. How beautiful it is, my children, to be accompanied by the Holy Spirit. He is indeed a good guide, and to think that there are some who will not follow him. The Holy Spirit is like a man with a carriage and a horse. Who should want to take us to Paris? We should only have to say yes and to get into it. It is indeed an easy matter to say yes. Well, the Holy Spirit wants to take us to heaven. We have only to say yes and to let him take us there. The Holy Spirit is like a gardener cultivating our souls. The Holy Spirit is our servant. There is a gun. Well, you load it, but someone must fire it and make it go off. In the same way, we have in ourselves the power of doing good. When the Holy Spirit gives the impulse, good works are produced. The Holy Spirit reposes in just souls like the dove in her nest. He brings out good desires in a pure soul as the dove hatches her young ones. The Holy Spirit leads us as a mother leads by the hand her child of two years old, as a person who can see leads one who is blind. The sacraments which our Lord instituted would not have saved us without the Holy Spirit. Even the death of our Lord would have been useless to us without him. 
Therefore our Lord said to his apostles, It is good for you that I should go away, for if I did not go, the Consoler would not come. The descent of the Holy Spirit was required to render fruitful that harvest of graces. It is like a grain of wheat. You cast it into the ground, yes, but it must have sun and rain to make it grow and come into ear. We should say every morning, O God, send me thy spirit to teach me what I am and what thou art. End of the reading. So I have come to the end of that short catechism on the Holy Spirit. And I wanted to read that because, um, I mean, I know that today in the church we have what's called ordinary time. But once upon a time on the church calendar, there was no ordinary time. Everything was a season. There was the Christmas season. There was a time after Christmas. There was Epiphany. There was a time after Epiphany. There was Pentecost. There was a time after Pentecost. And we are throughout the Christian year in a, it's always in some sense, a special period of time. And we are right now in this very special period of time in between the death and resurrection of Christ and the descent of the Holy Spirit. And so it isn't like, well, Easter has come and gone, and now we're going to wait for another few weeks and we get Pentecost. No, because in a way they're bookends. In a way they're two sides of the same same coin. As the Kyrie of Ars said, even the death of our Lord would have been useless to us without the Holy Spirit. Therefore, our Lord said to his apostles, It is good for you that I should go away, for if I did not go, the Consoler would not come. The descent of the Holy Ghost was required to render fruitful that harvest of graces. So you see, um, well, actually, I'll just continue with the next line from the Cure of Ars. It is like a grain of wheat. You cast it into the ground, yes, but it must have sun and rain to make it grow and come into ear. So in a way... The problem is I don't want to get on too, too thin theological ice, but you can see the death and resurrection of Christ as the beginning of this period, which climaxes with the descent of the Holy Spirit, and with the descent of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the Church. Right, The Catholic Church wasn't born on Good Friday, and it wasn't even born on Easter. It wasn't even born on the Ascension. It was born on... Pentecost on the descent of the Holy Spirit. The descent of the Holy Spirit is in some sense the the fruition of what was obtained through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. I hope I don't get burned at the stake for being a heretic for having said that. I'm flying by the seat of my pants, so cut me a little slack if you're the Grand Inquisitor. However, that's why I wanted to, during this period between um, Easter and Pentecost, underline the connection between the two. Now, we have come very close to the halfway point in this program, and I I do like to take calls, and I uh, do like to take a short musical break, and I'm going to do both of them at the same time, so to speak. I'm going to take a short musical break now. You may uh, recognize the uh, tune that I intend to play which is essentially Come Holy Spirit, for obvious reasons. And uh, the number here, again, is 866-333-6279. 
or which is the same as 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y, for obvious reasons. And so um, during the musical break, I will keep an eye on the uh, call board. And if there are any calls that come in during the musical break, I will immediately go to the calls. And if not, I will continue with reading from um, the Little Catechism of the Curie of Ars. Um, and uh, you'll see what the next reading has to do with the last reading. But for that, um, you'll have to wait until after this break. And with that, let's have um, Come Holy Spirit. Veni Creator Spiritus, Mentes Tuorum Visita, Impleso per gratia, que tu creasti pectora. I hope um, I hope you enjoyed that. That was Veni Creator Spiritus, Come Holy Spirit, and uh, sung in, in uh, chant in Latin. And I see that we do have uh, some callers, so I will simply ask the um, this the studio to um, uh, to put the first caller on the line. Uh, are you there, caller number one? <laughs> Yes, I am, if I'm number one. I'm Jane. Uh, hi, Jane. Did you have a, a question or a comment? 
Yes, I wanted to tell you how edifying the Curé of Ours was for me and what a special blessing I feel it was to hear you read it. I'm a convert to Catholicism and as such haven't learned um, the aspects of the faith in a, a detailed and systematic fashion. Uh, I realize that you're a convert as well, but you're a theologian, and I guess that's the difference. Um, you seem to um, understand all, everything so well. Um, I've been at this for a long time, but I still find holes in my uh, understanding, and the Holy Spirit is one of the biggest ones. I find it a very hard um, concept to, uh, to grasp. Um, and so in my prayers, I really direct my prayers to Jesus and uh, God the Father, and I've kind of ignored the Holy Spirit. So uh, I wanted to let you know that um, your reading today is a special blessing. And I wanted to ask you if the Curie of ours, if you could spell it, or can I find it on the Internet? I'd like to be able to read it again and kind sure. of contemplate it myself. That, that would be excellent. Um, the, uh, the, the book I'm reading from, and thank you for asking, and obviously thank you for your uh, kind comments also. The uh, book that I'm reading is called The Little Catechism of the Curé of Ars, and it is published by uh, a publisher named Tan Press, T-A-N Press. Um, and okay. I don't know if it's, I think it's back in print, um, I'm pretty sure it's back in print. Uh, the copy I have is is like 50 years old, but um, I'm pretty sure they, they have brought it back in print. Uh, the copy that I have is so cheap that it's $1.25 a copy. <laughs> so, you know, a long time ago. Um, the C-U-R-A-E? No, I'm sorry. First of all, the book is... The, the saint's name, he's usually referred to as the curé of ours. Curé is spelled C-U-R-E, like cure. Sorry, so oh, it's the okay. C-U-R-E of Ars. Ars is spelled A-R-S. Okay. And the book itself is called The Little Catechism of the Curé of Ars. And it okay. is published by TAN, T-A-N, books. So that should help. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Well, I, um, thanks for I your call. Sometime when you're talking about converts, share my... Um, Con conversion experience. I have some questions about it. It doesn't seem like today is the right time, but you know, when you are looking for convert stories, okay. try to call back. And well, uh, well, why don't why don't you send me an email at haveroytalk at gmail dot com, and that way we can set it up. So just haveroytalk at gmail dot com okay. at gmail dot com. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay. Thanks for the call. Thanks I think. So Thanks. I think we may have another caller. Are you there? Hello? 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 Hi, I have a question. Okay. Um, so, my best friend in the world is Jewish. We are so close. We always would say, you know, like if she died when we were, my kids were younger, she'd raise them, but she, you know, that type of thing. If I, if I died, I'd raise her kids. She has always said that the reason why Jews don't believe that uh, Jesus was the Messiah 
because it's in Judaism, there's a belief that the Messiah comes at the end of the world. And since, since the world didn't end, Jesus couldn't be the Messiah. Now, I'm a real, as you probably know, I'm a real newbie to Judaism, I mean, to, to Catholicism only in the last couple of years. So mm -hmm. I don't know if this is true. I just wanted to hear what your thoughts were about that. Sure. Uh, um, may I have your name, by the way? What's your name? First name. Yeah, my name's Elizabeth. I'm oh. I, Elizabeth. I'm Neela's mom. <laughs> okay, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, well... And can I say really quickly, I have five teenagers listening to you this afternoon, and when you put up Neela's picture, they all were cheering. <laughs> great. <laughs> it, was, it was great. Great. <laughs> Um, well, okay, so that actually helps. Thanks for identifying yourself. Um, I will answer the question straight, but I'll also say that providentially, I just had an hour-long interview on another um, Catholic radio station. I don't want to advertise any competitors, but it was um, the uh, Jesse Romero show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And I talk mostly about what you just asked, so I'm only going to give it a couple of minutes now but I have like a more extensive discussion of it. Um, and uh, I'm sure that one can find that on the internet. But in any case, here's the story. The story is that, um, of course, the J Jews share the Old Testament with the Catholic Church. And if you read the Old Testament, there are two sets of Messianic prophecies. There are the Messianic prophecies that we know from like Isaiah and um, Zechariah. They'll look upon the one who they have pierced. Um, by his stripes we are healed and so forth. And there are also the Messianic prophecies about the lion lying down with the lamb and everyone beating their swords into plowshares and so forth. There are those two sets of Messianic prophecies. That doesn't make a problem for the Catholic because we know that the suffering servant messianic prophecies refer to Jesus's first coming and the um, lion lying down with the lamb and the heavenly Jerusalem descending from the heavens and so forth refer to the end of the world. So we know what to make with those two sets of prophecies. The Jews are not so fortunate because they don't really know about the first coming and the second coming. So things get pretty muddled and um, your friend's response is not an unusual response because um, the Jews are aware of the end of the world messianic prophecies and Jesus did not bring about the end of the world. So there's a logic to their objection. Now, if your friend were an extremely um, well-educated Jew in Judaism, you could go further with her because you could point out that the Talmud, that's the historical Jewish rabbis, you could say, they recognize those two sets of messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, and they discuss them. How do we reconcile them? Because there are these accounts, these prophecies of a Messiah who's going to come and suffer and die for the sins of the nation, and there are these accounts of a Messiah who's going to come and usher in the um, heavenly kingdom. How do we reconcile them? And the answer in the Talmud is there are going to be two messiahs, a first messiah who's, come to, who's going to come to suffer and die and take away sin, and a second messiah who's going to bring about the end of the world. Now, if your friend knew enough to know that, you could talk to her about it, but she undoubtedly doesn't, very few Jews do, 
and she probably doesn't want to hear it from you, so I wouldn't suggest going there. But um, if you ever want to look that up, you can look it up. If you Google Messiah Ben Joseph, you will f- that's the name of the first Messiah who's going to come and suffer and die in Judaism. His name is Messiah, the son of Joseph, Messiah Ben Joseph. And the second Messiah who's going to come to usher in the heavenly kingdom, his name in the Talmud is Messiah Ben David, Messiah, the son of David. Now, from a Catholic perspective, that is super neat because in the New Testament, whenever somebody wanted to refer to Jesus's humanity, they referred to him as Jesus, the son of uh, Joseph, right? Oh, that's just Jesus, the carpenter's son. And when they wanted to refer to his divinity, they referred to him as the son of David, Messiah, son of David, right? Oh, son of David, you know, give me back my sight, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David and so forth. So it's kind of neat that those two names in Judaism, Messiah, son of Joseph and Messiah, son of David, are actually even reflected in the life of Jesus. Okay. Okay, I guess I have a third call. I hope that satisfies you, Elizabeth. It's probably hung up. Hello? Um, Yes? Who's this? Thank you, Ray. This is Valentina. Thank you for taking my call. Okay. I have a a quick question. Um, In reading your Salvation from the Jews, and of course being a follower of you on YouTube, and listening to your conversion story, which was led me to you a couple of years ago, I seem to recount that you asked specifically that question to our Blessed Mother when we had that audience. What question is that? I, I don't think you were... Uh, what, what, I asked her what question? That you had asked her what was this business about the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah, that question. I did ask and her. <laughs> I did ask her. incredible. In fact, that, brought, that was the first time in my whole I'm a cradle Catholic in my entire Catholicism of asking that question and being told it was a mystery of mystery. You were the person that answered that question. That made so much sense. Well, actually, the Blessed Virgin Mary was the person who answered it, I hope. Right, right. But can you recant that a little bit? I think the audience is being Okay. Um, I'm I'm going to have to spell it out, though, because uh, for obvious reasons, because you'll see what going on but um i i did have that experience of the blessed virgin mary it was a dream I, my body was asleep in bed but i thought i was awake and it felt mm-hmm. like i was awake and she offered to answer any questions i might have for her and one of the questions i mm-hmm. asked her because i knew nothing about christianity i had never looked at a new testament or anything mm-hmm. was what's this business about the holy spirit because right. i had heard the expression but i had no idea what it meant and her response was just to look uh, upwards with an expression melting with love and say he's his gaze gaze g-a-z-e you know like a gaze like when you gaze at somebody he's his gaze and so the sense was that i i can't really elaborate on that right i mean it's it's very deep and it's in a way very very um uh, evident but it's like, you know, when God is looking at you, um, or maybe even when, you know, when, you know, this, 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 the, the gaze of God is the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. such an epiphany for me. And I just, 
wanted to call and see if you could, you know, respond, on, especially on Leo Maria, I'm sure someone else would like to hear that, because that brought it all home to me finally, after all these years. You know, it was always a mystery. But when I heard you, your recount of it, and her answer, that was such an epiphany. So I thank you for that. And well, thank you. Thank you for your call. And um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm very grateful, obviously, for 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 my experiences. Uh, and I don't um, impute anything to myself as a result. Obviously, They're, they were just a free gift. Um, and um, I think that looks like unless the uh, studio jumps in, I will assume that was the last caller on the line. So I will go back in the few minutes we have left, maybe about 10 minutes left, to the Cure of ours. Now, is, I, this is the other side of the coin. I know that some of you may have, I don't know how, fine for teenagers. I'm not sure that much less than teenagers this is appropriate for. The language is very, very polite. But it's the other side of the coin of the Holy Spirit. And I am going to read, it's only two pages long, from the Curé of Ars, um, it's a little sermonette called Catechism on Impurity. So, here goes. That we may understand how horrible and detestable is this sin, which the demons make us commit, but which they do not commit themselves, we must consider what a Christian is. A Christian, created in the image of God, redeemed by the blood of a God, a Christian, the child of God, the brother of a God, the heir of a God, a Christian whose body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is what sin dishonors. We are created to reign one day in heaven, and if we have the misfortune to commit this sin, we become the den of the devils. Our Lord said that nothing impure should enter into his kingdom, Indeed, how could a soul that has rolled itself in this filth go to appear before so pure and so holy a God? We are like little mirrors in which God contemplates himself. How can you expect that God should recognize his likeness in an impure soul? There are some souls so dead, so rotten, that they lie in their defilement without perceiving it and can no longer clear themselves from it. Everything leads them to evil. Everything reminds them of evil, even the most holy things. They always have these abominations before their eyes, like the unclean animal that is accustomed to live in filth, that is happy in it, that rolls itself and goes to sleep in it, that grunts in the mud. These persons are an object of horror in the eyes of God and of the holy angels. See, my children, our Lord was crowned with thorns to expiate our sins of pride, but for this accursed sin he was scourged and torn to pieces, since he said himself that after his flagellation all his bones might be counted. O oh, my children, if there were not some pure souls here and there to make amends to the good God and disarm his justice, you would see how we should be punished. For now this crime is so common in the world that it is enough to make one tremble. One may say, my children, that hell vomits forth its abominations upon the earth as the chimneys of the steam engine 
vomit forth smoke. The devil does all he can to defile our soul, and yet our soul is everything. Our body is only a heap of corruption. Go to the cemetery to see what you love when you love your body. As I have often told you, there is nothing so vile as the impure soul. There was once a saint who had asked the good God to show him one, and he saw that poor soul like a dead beast that has been dragged through the streets in the hot sun for a week. By only looking at a person, we know if he is pure. His eyes have an air of candor and modesty which leads you to the good God. Some people, on the contrary, look quite inflamed with passion. Satan places himself in their eyes to make others fall and to lead them to evil. Those who have lost their purity are like a piece of cloth stained with oil. You may wash it and dry it, and the stain always appears again, so it requires a miracle to cleanse the impure soul. Now, I'm not sure exactly why I I wanted to read that, but one of the reasons I wanted to read it is because the Cure of Ars is writing um, 150 years ago, and how much worse things have gotten now. And if we look around us, especially right now, especially in our day, especially in our country, we see, we see people on top of the world, so to speak, in quotes, on top of this world. We see the... Um, uh, I don't even know what to call them. You know, the the actors and actresses and pop tarts and and pop singers. We see the uh, billionaires. We see the tech giant billionaires. We see uh, senators and we see um, even higher political figures and senators. We see some um, of their family members who have perhaps been caught in in horribly scandalous situations. We see all of these in a worldly sense, extremely enviable people who are mired, mired, mired in this filth and yet, you know, who have their, you know, uh, their their five or six $20 million mansions and have their private jets and all of that. And it is our fallen human nature, sometimes, mea culpa, mea culpa, to... um, uh, to wonder whether we've taken the right path, to uh, perhaps even be envious of the um, uh, consolations of this world that they have, and maybe even be envious of, God forbid, uh, this their sinful consolations. And so it is very important, especially in our time, to remind ourselves of the stakes, to remind ourselves of everything that's going on, to remind ourselves that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, to remind ourselves, as as the Cure of Ars um, wrote so beautifully at the beginning of this, we must consider what a Christian is, created in the image of God, redeemed by the blood of a God, the child of a God, the brother of a God, the heir of a God, whose body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is what sin dishonors. We are so much more... (laughs) We are so much more in the eyes of God, so to speak, that it is, it is comical, it is ludicrous to think of trading the, the, the dignity and the stature and the eternity which we have been given as Christians in a state of grace to trade it for the, the filth and the defilement 
and the um, extremely transitory pleasures that these people who, you know, have 15 million followers on Twitter or whatever are enjoying. And of course, the best way to do that, I shouldn't say the best way, but a very good way to do that, a very good way to maintain the correct perspective and to therefore be inspired in the correct direction is to read the saints. Because what are the saints? That was actually in the earlier reading. But the saints are essentially the people who saw the world in the light of the Holy Spirit. And that is what we're striving to do. And if we succeed in seeing the world in the light of the Holy Spirit, then we will weigh things correctly and we will follow the right path. Because again, as the curie of ours said in that earlier reading, if I can turn to it quickly, the Holy Spirit is like a man with a carriage and a horse who wants to take us to Paris. We only have to say yes and get into the carriage. It is an easy matter to say yes. Well, the Holy Spirit wants to take us to heaven. We only have to say yes and to let him take us there. So that is what the purpose, I guess, of the show was. And uh, I hope this whole show was a, a prayer, essentially a prayer on your part, a prayer on my part, to pray for the Holy Spirit to pull the carriage up alongside us and say, get in, and for us to say yes and have that carriage take us to heaven and not, not lose our focus and lose our sense of direction and fall for the lie and the uh, filth, if I can say so. Another very beautiful thing in this reading of the Curé of Ars is that he points out that the sin of uh, impurity is so vile that the demons themselves don't actually indulge in it. They just try to tempt us into it. And um, uh, it reminds me of that song, Did You Ever Want to Swing on a Star? You know, we really, we really have a choice. We can swing on a star and put the moonbeams in a jar, or we can be a pig grunting around in the mud. So let's, uh, let's all make the right choice. And with that, um, I, I will uh, leave you for now. You've been listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria with me, your host, Roy Showman. And we have been invoking, I hope, in this show, the Holy Spirit, because we're in this very blessed period in between, um, in between the Triduum and Easter and the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And so I will go out now with that uh, same Come Holy Spirit, very beautifully sung that we were listening to before. And uh, that lasts about three minutes. I'm saying that for the benefit of the studio. And that will close out our show for today. So uh, join us again, please, same time, same place, next week on Radio Maria, Jesus the Promised Messiah of Judaism, with me, Roy Shoman. And now, come Holy Spirit. Veni Creator Spiritus, Mentes Tuorum Visita, Impleso Perna Gratia, Que Tu Creasti Pectora. Sweet, sweet, sweet,
dismunere, dextrereitu digitus, turite promisum patris, sermoneritans cultura. Spiritum, credamus omnii. 